Transmitter device activated. Coordinates set for Earth 2. Hello everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, where we explore the pre-crisis DC multiverse and the legacy of the Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Age of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. In this episode of the Earth 2 podcast, we are going to be discussing issue 137 of The Flash, First published in April 1963, the same month as Batman 156, Robin Dies at Dawn, oh, fact fans. Famous cover there. Yep. So, Flash 137, written by Gardner Fox, with pencils from Karen Infantino and inks by Joe Giella. Yep, so this is the third time Barry and Jay Flash team up together. Um, and the cover, lovely lurid sort of purple with Barry and Jay just basically punching each other in the jaw. Yeah, Barry's punching Jay so hard in the face it's helmets coming yep. up. Yep, and in the background we have Vandal Savage. Flying um, off. Flying up in the air and he's saying, while the two flashes fight it out for the privilege of capturing me, I'll make my getaway. And the cover caption says, a new double flash thriller, Vengeance of the Immortal Villain. So this is Vandal Savage making his first reappearance since the, the Golden Age. Vandal who first appeared in issue 10 of the quarterly Green Lantern title. Yes. Back in the day. So he was initially an Alan Scott baddie. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's causing trouble for the twin Crimson Comets, isn't he? He certainly is. So... We open and the the splash page features Barry sort of, it looks like he's just kind of bouncing. <laughs> he's kind of maybe trying to click his heels together and Jay he looks quite riled, quite perturbed. It looks like he's kind he's of sinking you know, into the ground. Sinking into the grass there. Mm-hmm. And Vandal is in, is in a weird sort of little spaceship effort and he's zapping in both with ways and it says the flash at the top in big letters. And there's a, there's a caption box out which describes... What's going to be going on? A little shot of Vandal's head, a little shot of Barry and Jay. And it actually gives a little bit detail away of how the story plays out. They were not I don't want to I don't want to cover that because it's better if we just get to it and read the story. story. Yes. So we open Washington DC, yep. high above the Capitol Dome, an eruption of glistening lights in the night sky. And someone is shouting the mysterious skylights, just as they appeared over five other cities this past week. Thank That's you, some, exposition yes, man. Yes, some nice, useful, handy <laughs> exposition there. And it's a nice shot, as Pete says, Carmine's still absolutely knocking it out of the park at this point, so we have these sort of weird, sort of, it's a deep blue sky, mm-hmm. and these sort of weird angular sort of pink lights that are beams almost, that are sort of yeah. stretching up and curving around and, you know, cutting over each other. And, and you and see the Capitol building there. Yep. Yeah, and a lovely silhouette, it's great. Mm-hmm. At their appearance, every engine within a 10-mile range instantly stops. Electric lights blink out, motor cars come to a dead stop. Even flashlights don't work. And we have a couple of Washington punters and there's a lady saying, the city's come to a standstill. What's causing these queer phenomena? Says another man in a nice hat. Yes, and it's interesting because the woman seems to have some sort of lighter or something she has. I think they're both holding candles. Okay, yes, yeah. they are. She's in the distance, it's hard to tell. Yeah. He's got a big, really waxy candle right at the front. If you pardon the expression. Rather, rather unusual so, um, to yep. walking in with that. Yep. So, so moments later in the Pentagon... There's a couple of military types and one of them saying, suppose an enemy attacks, we couldn't fire a gun to stop him. Another one says, for all we know, these lights are an enemy attacking us. So we then cut to a radio newsroom. The sixth city blackout becomes a hot issue from coast to coast. And we see a radio announcer and he's saying... Who is causing these disastrous skylights? Every country disclaims responsibility. Unless we find out soon, more cities will be hit and our country will become completely paralysed. One man alone on Earth is in a position to guess at the strange, almost incredible answer. And we cut to Barry and Iris in... It looks like Iris's office because there's, yes. there's a filing cabinet and she's got her typewriter mm-hmm. and stuff. Barry's getting ready to leave because he's just putting his coat on there. Yep. And Iris says, Washington... 
Bathed by Those Lights, and before that, Gotham City, Calvin City, and those three others. I wonder who's next. Odd, says Barry. Each of these cities rings a bell in my memory, but I can't understand why. Come on, Iris, I'll walk you home. Barry walks Iris home, and it cuts to him walking home from Iris's. And I have to question the area in which Iris yes. lives. Because uh, he walks well, past a place that's uh, obviously some sort of sketchy payday loan place yeah, well, called Loan. Yeah, the caption says, all, all the way home from Iris West's apartment, Barry Allen ponders the faint memory of the city name. So he could have wandered, like, it's maybe quite a stretch from Iris's bit to his bit, and he's taking a shortcut through the nudie Rudy area. Yeah, because as well as this <laughs> sketchy payday loan place, there's a, a nightclub <laughs> called Smoke, with a picture of a lady's face there, and it's, it's it a, says dancing so, on a sign yeah, there. And there's a, there's, a, there's a beatnik guy with his portfolio under his arm and a, yeah. and a goatee beard and a little hat walking past. I'm a bit concerned about the sort of establishment that's what, around about. What looks, like, um, what looks like an off-duty military fellow just behind Barry as well. So, yeah, between Barry and Iris' surely, surely is um, Central City's red light district. So Barry is thinking to himself, Calvin City, Washington, Gotham City, what have they in common? And then as he puts his key in the door lock when oh, he gets home... Of course. I just remembered it struck me like a flash. Oh, Barry. Uh, turning to a wall cabinet in his room, he brings out a map of what appears to be the Earth. Barry's thinking to himself, I'm the only person in my world who's ever seen this map of Earth. This is the Earth of my good friend Jay Flash Garrick, where there's a keystone city in the place of Central City where I live. Hmm. I was right. The cities where the skylights appeared are cities on the other Earth where the members of the former Justice Society of America resided. Now, Barry's sort of holding a copy of issue 37 of All-Star Comics, which was the, the title that the Justice Society appeared with during the Golden Age, and he's thinking to himself, how well I remember these colourful heroes from my boyhood reading of All-Star Comics. Hawkman, Dr. Midnight, the Atom from Calvin College in Calvin City, Wonder Woman worked in Washington in those days, Green Lantern within Gotham City, and good old Johnny Thunder. Barry continues to think, since each of the cities where the skylights have appeared correspond to the cities where those Justice Society members live, those lights might be connected with them. It's a long chance, but it's worth investigating. So an instant later, he touches a secret spring in his ring, exposing his Flash costume to inflating oxygen. And then, another classic Cameron Infantino panel, you've got the Flash streaking across a lovely background silhouette of Central City. Yep. And Barry's thinking to himself, any possible hope of stopping those skylights makes this trip to that other Earth of Jay Garrick well worthwhile. Practically everything that happens in his world also happens in mine. Interesting, that other Earth, not quite designated Earth 2 yet. Yep. Although I believe in some of the reprints of this issue, yep. uh, it does actually state yep. Earth 2. What we sort of notice here is the next panel, the next sort of caption panel, has been edited for the reprint that's in the Greatest Flash Stories Ever Told and collection. probably other reprints. Probably, um, yeah. The story was also reprinted comparatively soon after in issue... 213 of the Flash, we'll put the cover of that up because it's lovely, it's Benny Adams. Anyway, the original caption that follows on from Barry's little speech there says, At a focal point between these worlds of the Central City Community Centre, Flash vibrates as he did once before. But in the reprint it says, At a focal point between these worlds, the Central City Community Centre, Flash vibrates as he did in his first adventure on Earth 2. Interesting. So yes, after Earth 2 is established, they decided to change the yeah, wording. Yeah, and there's, there's the a little, little, little asterisk in the caption said, Editor's note, see Flash 1, 2, 3, Flash 2. It reminds me of, you know, when Marvel Tales mm-hmm. would reprint Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. They would sometimes doctor the footnotes and some of the, the bubbles to make it seem as if they were actually contemporary with right, okay. the contemporary Spider-Man uh-huh. stories. So that's interesting. I okay. never really twigged. So anyway... Mm-hmm. Barry's standing on a stage at the community centre that we last Fortunately saw. Fortunately, it's empty. Yes. There's no one in, as yep. ever. Flash 123. 
Um, and he's on stage, empty chairs, and he's vibrating, and he's saying, By vibrating at a certain speed, I'm sure to cross over the spatial helix linking my earth with that of Jay Garrick. Moments later, he is racing through Keystone City. Since I know where my Flash counterpart on this earth lives, I'll make his home my first stop. So within split seconds, at the home of Jay Garrick, 5252, there we go again, yep. 78th Street, yeah. Keystone City, USA. And 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 it's um, and Joan, Joan answers the door. Oh, Barry Allen, come in, come in. Jay will be so glad to see you as soon as he returns. He's not home, Joan? He's out on a case at the moment, but he'll be back shortly. Please sit down and tell me what brings the flash to this earth. So Barry's relaxing, he's taking his mask off. And One thing I really like about Barry is he's, he's a casual guy. He likes to like sit sit down in a chair. Yep. You know, He likes to like take the mask off when he's in a comfortable situation. Yep. It's, it's great. So, next page. But before Barry Flash can explain his mission, Jay Flash returns home. And Joan brings in a, a tray with some sandwiches and some coffee on it. You boys are in for a long gab fest, so here are some sandwiches to munch on. So Barry starts explaining to Jay what's been going on. He says, Jay, in my world, there are mysterious lights in the sky that... And then Jay interrupts, what? The same lights are in my world. Listen. And after each superhero tells his story, Jay says, what you're telling me is most interesting, Barry. I've just returned from those six cities you mentioned. And when I checked up in each of the cities, I found out that my old Justice Society buddies have disappeared. Well, that seems to be the clincher, all right, says Barry. There must be a connection between the appearance of the skylights and the disappearance of those JSA members. And Jay responds, If we are right, the next appearance of the skylights may very well be over my hometown, Keystone City. Possibly to draw your attention to it, so you'll disappear too. And then, before they're staring eyes... Yep, so Barry and Jay are looking out the window, and it, again, it's the big sort of overreaching, crossing over pink lights, sort of stretching out over a dark sky. And, and Jay exclaims, yep. There it is, exactly as the lights appeared over the other six cities. And Barry says, Corresponding to the skylights in my own world. But whoever or whatever is causing them is in for a surprise. So, on to, on to page six. Through a city blanketed by darkness, race the two fastest men alive. Yeah, and Jay are bombing along empty streets. Jay says, our unknown menace plans on capturing the Flash. And Barry says, but you can't anticipate that there will be two Flashes on hand to fight him. Their keen eyes search everywhere for the device causing the strange skylights. And they appear to be in some sort of park yep. land area. And again, we can see the sort of deep blue sky with the lights sort of stretching up in the background. Mm-hmm. And Jay says, since each skylight appeared over different cities, there must be some kind of gadgets around here creating it. And Barry says, it shouldn't take long to find it at the rate we're travelling. Then, on a side road, some miles outside the city. Do you know what, before we go any further, it's interesting that they surmise that there must be some kind of gadget. Mm-hmm. I guess the beams must look artificial. Yeah, like scientific beams, supposed to be sort of magical and yeah, any alien. So yeah, Jay's speeding along and he sees what looks kind of like a mini sort of satellite radar sort of sky yeah. dish on a little... It's a fantastic a panel of Jay skidding to halt. Yeah. Fantastic infantino work, yeah. And Jay says, There it is. I'll shut it off, restoring everything back to normal in Keystone City. But as the Scarlet Speedster reaches for the strange engine, another machine nearby suddenly shoots out a beam of light. And so, yeah, Jay sort of ground to halt and he stood up straight and it looks like a little sort of TV camera-esque silhouette is sort of emerged from the ground that looks like behind them. And it's sort of shooting them with a yellow beam and a sort of transparent box is appearing around him. And Jay thinks, oh, a cube of some sort forming around me, holding me rigid. After the cube forms solidly about him, it lifts upwards into the air, carrying the helpless Jay Flash inside it. And Jay's thinking, no chance of Barry rescuing me. He can't fly through the air. It looks like we've lost our fight with the skylight menace. So the panel then cut on the start of the next page has Jay's box floating along and Barry's running after it. 
and the caption tells us momentarily stunned by surprise at what has happened the scarlet speedster leaps forward only to have his fingertips graze the cold surface of the curious cube and Barry says missed it's just moving beyond my reach so then in classic Barry action Barry Flash races in tight circles below the flying cube and Barry thinks to himself by causing a suction whirlpool I might be able to draw it down so I can grab hold of it and all this time Jay and his transparent plastic cube is still floating upwards his desperate attempt is crowned with failure though and Barry's saying the downdraft just wasn't strong enough. Whatever force has the cube in its power is too powerful to budge. Over Keystone City moves the odd cube, and racing up a building wall to intercept it, speeds Barry Flash. Whatever hope I have of stopping those skylights in my world will involve saving Flash first. And indeed Flash is, well, Barry yep. is running up yep, inside Barry, of a building yep. to gain some heights. And he's, so he's, the next panel we'll see him on the roof of a building and Jay's just passing overhead and um, Barry says, it's just a foot away but it might as well be a mile. Down one building and up another only to fail again and again. The Flash rockets up the last tall building in the city. Yep, Keystone obviously finishes very abruptly because just beyond <laughs> the building we can see some rocks, rocks. and stuff that looks like yes. the desert. Not even farmland, nope, just, so, you know, straight there. So Jay's just out of reach again and Barry says this is my last chance there are no other buildings after this to go up within reaching distance of the cube so Jay's flying just ahead and Barry's screeching to help because as he says too late it's moving beyond the roof edge as Jay in this box just keeps flashing firing on forward and with a wild despairing broad jump Barry flings himself out into the empty air so he's, he's obviously thought right got to try again got to risk everything on this final try he says his feet touch the solid surface of the cube, but... I reached it, but I can't keep my footing. So we've got a nice overhead shot of the very, very high up, and Barry's starting to slip off the box. Quickly, he begins to rotate his arms like propellers, and their frantic pounding of the air lifts him slowly upright. Right, so Barry thinks as I've gained my balance. So he drops down to his knees, the caption tells us, and he drives the edge of his hands at the cube so hard and so swiftly that it blows. And Barry thinks to himself... At such speeds, my hand equals the battering power of a dozen pile drivers. Indeed, karate chopping it yep. straight to bits. Faster, ever faster, move the hand until faint cracks appear in the white cube. Ah, the cube's starting to come apart. We see cracks on the glass, basically. A moment later, the white prison, gripping J Flash, opens and... Barry thinks, I overlooked it. Once I destroyed the cube, Flash and I would fall offward. And, and then falling enough, down with all of the shadows. We see it all. Sort of, and it's interesting, because we can see J inside it, I thought it was kind of transparent. But yeah, it's interesting, it's it the white cube, so yeah. maybe... But it's translucent, maybe? Yeah. yeah. So Barry and Jay are falling down far below. Barry sights the jagged rocks of a scenic wonderland, and Barry thinks to himself, if I don't do something fast, it'll all be over for both of us. Continued on the third page following. So, over the next page, there's a nice house ad for an issue of World's Finest, an issue of Mystery in Space, an issue of Star Spangled War Stories, which is dinosaur comics at that point. I've got that one. And an issue of Sugar and Spike. Excellent. So, on to page 10, Vengeance of the Immortal Villain, part 2. And the caption says... Hurtling to their doom on the sharp rocks far below, Barry Flash suddenly remembers an episode from his past and reaches out to catch hold of the unconscious Jay Flash. Instantly, his right arm begins to vibrate faster and faster, creating an updraft of air which lowers them gently towards the ground. Yeah, it's almost like there's a scene missing, isn't there? Because it's gone from the shot of them and, and the bits of the cube falling to Barry yeah. actually having got hold of Jay. So Barry's now got Jay over his left shoulder and he's looking down and he's sort of... Creating an air cushion. Up and Barry sort of yeah. says to himself, Luckily I remember the technique I used once before in a similar situation when I faced the villainous Black Cat of Paris. And we have a footnote which says, It is note, see Showcase 13 around the world in 80 minutes. Yes. And so, cushioned by that rising column of air, the two flashes drop gently downwards. Another few feet, thinks Barry to himself, and will be safe on solid ground. So, they land on the ground. Protected by the rotating right arm of Barry Flash, the duo soon touches terra firma. So Jay's recovering and he says to himself, Oof, 
I'm still woozy from being in that cube. Take a breather, Jay, and then we'll go back to the Skylights machine and make another try at turning it off. Meanwhile, many miles to the south in a scientifically equipped hideout under Mammoth Caves. Mammoth Caves. Now, I wonder if are they just saying that the caves are very big or are they called Mammoth Caves? a geographical caves? feature of Roberto's That's Mammoth Caves. Interesting. Mm. There's a, a voice sort of emerging from the speech of, all of, of a voice sort of coming out from, from the cavern and uh, the voice says... What could have happened to the final cube and the flash inside it? And then we cut to the inside of the cave, ranged across the panel from left to right, in the, the same sort of cubes that Jay was being held prisoner. We see Dr. Midnight, Wonder Woman and Hawkman. And on the other side, we see the Atom, Johnny Thunder, and that has to be said, a very skinny-looking Alan Scott Green Lantern. And yes. sat in the middle with his back to the camera, as it were, in a big red chair, smoking a cigarette. It's Vandal Savage, the eponymous immortal villain. Yes. And Vandal is saying... So far, everything's gone just right. It was easy to capture the first six Justice Society members. I knew the terrible menace of the skylights I created would bring them out of retirement. As they were about to touch the machines, they unwittingly tripped an electric I-beam that encased them in a cube invented by one of my old Injustice Society pals, Brainwave. No one could have escaped from it. And we have a little footnote. Yes, saying the Injustice Society of the Worlds. An organisation of the greatest criminals of Earth appeared in All-Star Comics number 37. That's the October-November issue from 1947. So that's about, what, how many how many years before this one? So what? this is, let's have a look. 13, 14? 63, so that's oh, about... More than that. Yeah, it's about 15, 15 16, 16 yeah. Yeah, years since Vandal last appeared. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, the next panel, oh. um, <laughs> we see like there's all this clearly sort of scientific equipment sort of behind where Vandal's sort of sat and Hawkman is quite near to where Vandal's sitting Vandal's turned around now and he's facing towards the GSA and it looks like he's a talk show host it does he's doing and like kind of, point. yeah he's pointing at Hawkman it's Hawkman's turn to tell us an amusing story in a Parkinson style and Vandal is saying 16 years ago there we go you adjust the society members captured the injustice society and put us away in prison but what are 16 years to a man like me who is immortal now, 16 years later, I have escaped jail and have begun to avenge my defeat at your hands. And then he's, so he's got a cigarette and a cigarette holder, very lavish in this. Yeah. So he's now addressing the Atom, Johnny Thunder and Skinny Alan Scott. Vandal says, Green Lantern and his power ring were helpless once the cube closed in on him. Johnny Thunder couldn't speak the words CU, which would activate his fantastic Thunderbolt. Atom's atomic punch was of no avail against my cube prison. The Atom's atomic punch was... No- wasn't any use, but Barry was able to do it with break it up with high speed karate chops. Interesting. Well, the atom was frozen inside it. Interesting, but you think maybe yeah. he would have tried to? No, because Jay was frozen inside as yeah. well. He couldn't oh, okay. move, so okay. obviously okay. it's suspended mm. animation sort mm. of thing inside mm. the cube. So Vandal, whose hair it has to be said is getting bigger and bigger by the panel. It's obviously you know he has the same hairdresser as the third Doctor. He's now addressing Hawkman, Wonder Woman, and Doctor Midnight. Doctor Midnight couldn't reach his blackout bomb in time to help him. Hawkman's anti gravity ninth metal failed him. And the Amazon powers of Wonder Woman are encased forever in the cube from which there is no escape. So basically, Vandal Savage is reintroducing these characters and what they do yeah. roughly mm-hmm. for the new audience, That's which right. is very nice of him considering yeah. there's no one there to talk to, really. Yeah, I yeah. mean, obviously, when we did Flash 129, we, we mentioned the fact there's a couple of pages which flash back and you see you sort of see them in action in, in the final case. But this is yeah. a, a little introduction. I'm sure this was very exciting for the, the Golden Age fans who were reading this at the time. So Vandal continues. Or is there a way of escape unknown to me? My instruments show the cube that held the Flash has been destroyed. If Flash could do it, perhaps his fellow members can too. And then, leaning forward in his chair, Vandal continues, In a sense, I made them all immortal when I placed them in the cubes. They will witness my taking over the world, see my wicked triumphs, but completely helpless to stop me. To honour the occasion, 
I even designed this new uniform I'm wearing. Yeah, I don't know about you, but when I'm you know, on a special occasion, I always like to design my own uniform. Yeah, that I wear for going well, out that. Whenever I plan to take over the world, mm-hmm. I, I not only do I make sure I rustle up a new outfit and mm-hmm. design it myself, I also remind myself out loud that I've done it. Yes, it's like Vic Reeves, isn't it? Especially that was my idea. <laughs> especially when I'm out looking for vengeance. Yes, yes. which is. Every Tuesday night, generally, isn't it? Oh, of course, yes. Over the next page or two, Vandal gives us a little potted life story. And the captions read, Who is this man who wields such awesome powers? To understand, we must go back in time, 50,000 years to the age of the cavemen, where Vandar Arge was chief of a band of Cro-Magnons. A mighty hunter, a great fighter, this chief was leading his warriors to attack one day, when out of the skies came a screaming fireball. And that's what we see, some sort of cavemen lads in this big hairy chap with a, with a hammer, you know, or an axe type effort, sort of looking up and there's a screaming fireball flying towards him. With a titanic explosion, the flaming meteor burst over Vandaraj's head. Unconscious, he was carried to his cave. When he awoke, he had become immortal. It doesn't tell us how he knows, but not to worry. He just says these things, I think. I suppose. He lived on while the Cro-Magnons died out. It's quite a nice panel of caveman Vandal looking at a fire. Having burnt out, it's a sort of implication that maybe he's a representation last... of the, the death of his society. Yeah, maybe yeah. the sort of sense that he, maybe he was the last of them. That's mm-hmm. quite sad. Lived to walk the streets of ancient Sumer as its king. Yep, so basically he has risen to power in Sumer. Obviously, his immortality, he's gained power. Later, he was known as the Egyptian pharaoh Cheops, builder of the pyramids. And we see him again. We see, yeah, we see some pyramids being built with with what looks like very modern, uh, you can twentieth century construction. Yeah, yeah. And then, then we see him in uniform because he's... Then Genghis Khan. Yep. Yes. Later, he became a power behind history scenes. He was the advisor to Napoleon. And then we see Vandal and he's saying, You must attack, sire. The Austrians, the Prussians and the English cannot withstand your power. Very well, Marshal Sauvage. I will give the necessary orders. <laughs> and listen very carefully. <laughs> I should say this only once. And to Bismarck. Yep. And then we see Vandal addressing another great military figure and he says... This is a great triumph for your armies, Prince Bismarck. Yeah, a great avant for your diplomacy, Baron von Savage. Yes, other accents are available. Preferable. Yes. Until today, having turned his great talents to a quest for Earth domination, Vandal Savage has begun his programme by capturing six of the Justice Society members who had imprisoned him. And we get a nice silhouette panel of Vandal with his cigarette holder in his gob and he's saying, only the Flash is still at large to give me trouble. Since I fail to capture him by remote control, I shall go out and do so. Personally. Soon he's hurtling in his flying laboratory towards the Skylight's machine outside Keystone City. And Vardo thinks to himself, if I know Flash, he won't give up, but will attempt to shut off the Skylight's engine again. As he approaches the hidden machine, he sees... So yeah, looking down, so we can see Jay running towards the Skylight machine, which is still firing out his beams, and Jay says to himself... I mustn't get too close to it, or else I'll get caught in another cube. And Vandal thinks, there he is, right in my line of fire. Instantly, a beam of bright light bathes one of the Scarlet Speedsters. Yeah, we see Jay being caught in a sort of big yellow spotlight, and, and he says, well, he's thinking to himself... My feet sinking into the ground. Who? Despite his new uniform, I recognise him. It's Vandal Savage, the immortal villain. Despite his new uniform and his ridiculously good <laughs> hair. So yeah, basically, it looks like, you know, imagine Jay's got caught in quicksand. Yeah. He's sort of sinking down. A gloating Vandal Savage watches as his nemesis sinks down into the ground. So Vandal flying overhead and he's thinking to himself, this heavy ray beam, an invention of another fellow Injustice Society member, Thinker, who we met in Flash 123. We did indeed. Yes. So. Has made Flash so heavy... He'll sink right through the earth to the core of the planet. Oh, no. That would be terrible. Oh, no. 
Then his attention is directed to a second flash. Barry, Barry's running up and says, Chin up, Flash, I'll have you out of there in a moment. And Vandal thinks to himself, What's this? Another flash? Things have changed in the years I've been in prison. Not least in the worlds of hairdressing. Yes, but maybe fashion, you know, because yes. he had to take his own uniform. That's true. Yes. The barrel of the heavy ray beamer swings around towards Barry Flash, deluging him with its glow. I remember that time that I pure took a heavy ray beamer. Mm-hmm. I was deluged oh, that no, night. I was, I was... Thoroughly deluged. It was, oh man, it was a, uh, it was a ready. <laughs> so Barry's thinking to himself, huh, I'm rising into the air like a balloon. And then Vandal in his sort of little spaceship here for this. It looks so like it's changed shape, actually. Or maybe it's just the angle. Just the angle, I think. Um, Vandal's thinking to himself, by reversing the controls of this ray machine, I can also make whoever it hits lighter than air. And Unless flashes. something stops him, he will drift into outer space. Yeah, because Barry is now drifting up and floating away. Then Vandal Savage, with a toss of his mighty arm, sends a cable lasso rising towards the helpless Scarlet Speedster. So Barry thinks to himself, my super speed is useless. No matter what I do, I can't make myself heavier. And Vandal is shouting, I'll save you, Flash, because I have a different doom prepared for you. So we now move on to page 16, which is just a little half, one of those little half pages with an advert underneath. And the caption reads, The noose closes around the floating Flash, anchoring his upward climb. So Vandal's thinking to himself, My anticipated pleasure of capturing Flash has been doubled with the capture of a duo of Flashes. So in his little space rocket, even spaceship effort, is flying along, and we can see that he's tagging Barry along behind him. But also, as we see in the next panel, as it flies along, he's dragging Barry along above him, but below him, he's dragging Jay through the ground. Yes, because he sent a specially treated cable lasso down into the very ground itself to capture Jay. And Vandal thinks this flash has gone far enough. So we move on to the next panel, and Vandal is thinking to himself, now all that remains is to tow them both to my hideout, put them in cubes, and keep them as living mementos of my victory over the Justice Society. And then there's a little headbox caption thingy of Vandal, telling us the story continues... On the third page following. We pass over the Flashgrams letters page. There's a letter in here from Paul Gambaccini. And there's one from E. Nelson Bridwell. Oh, excellent. Which is, which is good, which is good. Um, and then we move into, finally, Vengeance of the Immortal Villain, part three. High in the air, one flash is towed like a balloon. Beneath the ground, the other flash is dragged like a fish below water. Their vaunted super speed seems useless to help them avoid the sinister plans of Vandal Savage. And Vandal is crying out, I overcame not only one, but two flashes. The extra one is like a bonus for my wickedness. Ha! 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 Very good, Vandal. Very (laughs) good. Floating helplessly at the end of his cable lasso, Barry Flash thinks furiously, I'm being carried along like a balloon or a hooked fish, but even a fish would struggle to escape. Grasping the cable lasso, he begins to vibrate it with terrific swiftness. Barry starts vibrating and he's saying to himself, this ought to shake that villain up a bit. Far below him, Jay Flash has thought of the same tricky manoeuvre. And Jay says, by shaking the lasso at super swift speed, I ought to be able to make the plane vibrate uncontrollably. I love how Jay's been dragged along underground. Underground. And it doesn't seem to be creating a big sort of gorge in the, you know... No, because he's underground, but the, obviously the cable must be causing like a, a rip in the earth yeah, as well. it's kind of... Yeah, anyway, so... Yes, within moments... The double-powered vibrations of the lassos set up a compensatory vibration within the plane itself. Vandal's like, <laughs> so he's obviously been doing a shaking shake voice. My, uh, I'm, you can move oh. my chair. My plane's going out of control. Everything's shaking so much I can't hold it on course. And it's, sure enough, yes, its steering mechanism wrecked by the incessant vibrations. The lab plane plunges groundward, and we see it hit with a you know a massive crash. And Vandal gets flung from the machine. Well, obviously, not wearing seatbelts, yeah. he smashes through yeah. the windscreen. Um, and Barry is still floating above it. 
Thrown clear of the wreckage, Vandal Savage sees the two flashes drag themselves towards his flying laboratory. And Vandal thinks to himself, they can turn my own weapons against me. I'm not prepared to fight two flashes armed with my weapons. I've got to get away. Edging his way along the lasso, Barry Flash grasps the heavy ray machine and, reversing its controls, blasts his counterpart with the lightness beam. A little less lightness, Barry. I'm starting to float now, says Jay. Jay's kind of emerged from the ground and Barry's kind of pulled himself down and he's operating some of the switches. And in the next panel, Jay's standing... Doffing his cap as Barry still floats there. And says, thanks pal, I'm back to normal now. Let me return the compliments. And Barry says, okay, I was never cut out to be a balloon. After being restored to proper weight, the monarchs of motion begin their hunt for Vandal Savage. Barry says, no trace of him. We could spend hours, days searching for his hideout. Seconds, Barry, now that I know Vandal Savage is behind this, I know from the Justice Society's previous encounter with him where he makes his hideouts. Outside the mammoth caves in Kentucky at that moment... And it looks like Vandal is... Is he flying? or he's is he flying. just is he, Vandal's just yeah. sort of, you know, loading into frame and he says, I've borrowed ideas from my fellow members of the Injustice Society, but I also invented a few of my own. This uniform, for instance, <laughs> which is gimmick to fly me through the air. There we go. Enabled me to escape the flashes. He loves, he loves that his uniform. uniform. He's all he, about it. He is a, a clothes horse. I hope that someone compliments him on it before the end of the story. Dedicated follower yeah. of fascism. Yes. So within, yes. We then get another, a close-up of Vandal and he thinks to himself, I used the lab plane to meet them instead of flying under my own power because I wanted to have weapons with which to overcome them. Now that Flash knows who is behind the Skylight's menace, you'll also remember I have a hideout under Mammoth Caves. It's obviously it's a proper name. Must be. Yep. Into the caves he runs and to his hideout where... My other weapons failed, but this invention of Degatons won't. My old Justice Society fellow member didn't go far enough with it, however. He used it merely to paralyse the will. I've improved his beam so I can control the will. Now, this is a reference to a character called Perdegaton, who is a sort of a wannabe, would-be, time-travelling despot, yes. who we will hear an awful lot from in the future. Absolutely. So, remember that. Write that down. Perdegaton. Mm-hmm. He'll be back. He'll be a test. So, we move on to, to page 20, and Vandal is... It looks like he's on a scooter or a, 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 pallet, a pallet truck or something. Oh, yeah, okay. And he's sort of saying to himself, by preventing the flashes from teaming up against me, by using the will controller to make them battle each other instead of me, it'll enable me to capture them both. And this obviously he's describing what we see on the cover. And then we see Vandals sort of aiming a trigger and he's thinking, when the beam from this will controller hits them, it will direct them to fight one another for the privilege of capturing me. When they're so weak they can't fight anymore, I'll encase them in my cubes. And that, that's not a euphemism. Unaware of the grim trap and which they are heading, the Flash pair race into Mammoth Caves. They're almost in semi-silhouette. It's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. So they're getting sort of hit with, with Vandal's beamer. Um, Vandal says, I've hit them with the invisible beams of the Will Paralyzer. Now they'll be too busy fighting each other to bother about me. And instantly, the two Flashes turn on one another. So, yeah, we see Barry sort of turn around facing Jay, and Jay's kind of squaring up. Basically, like we see on the cover. This Jay's, panel is exactly the same as the cover, yeah. yeah. Jay's punching Barry in the jaw and Barry's undercutting Jay and knocking his helmet off. It's a trait of Carmine when he does these panels. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always very recognisable as being the, co- the cover yeah, image. absolutely. This isn't one of his best. It's the middle panel of three yeah. on the bottom and it's, you know, you feel like maybe it could have been a... a bit more showcase. Half a half a splash page or, or mm-hmm. whatever. So Vandal, sort of in the background as, mm-hmm. as, as the two flashes start duking out and he leaps and he sort of looks like he's leaping up and he's saying... While the two flashes fight it out for the privilege of capturing me, I'll make my getaway to set a trap and capture the winner, if there is one. Behind him, Barry Flash drums his feet on the rocky ground of the vast caverns. And Barry thinks to himself, I must overcome Jay, so I, and I alone, can capture this vandal savage. As his feet set up tremendous vibrations, jagged stalactites snap off and drop in a deadly shower towards Jay Flash. 
If Barry thinks he's going to capture my old enemy, he's got another thing coming, thinks Joe. Darting between the falling stone spears, Jay Flash rotates his arms at furious speeds. I can move just as fast as he can. Let's see how he likes being a target for these stalactites. So yeah, so the first we're now on page 21 and we have Jay sort of looking up as the stalactites fall towards him and then he's using his left arm and rotating and spinning. And as the stalactites are falling down, they're being diverted and the final panel is top tier, they're flying towards Barry. Creating a mighty wind... He turns the jagged rock straight at his flash foe. But Barry Flash, dodging and darting these deadly missiles, circles faster and faster about his fellow Scarlet Speedster. Yeah, so Barry just runs out the way of the, the stalactites and, and he's bombing round Jay and Jay's saying to himself, This vortex of super hurricane proportions is making me spin like a top. There's only one thing to do. And desperately Jay Flash reaches out, grasps his counterpart by an arm. To complete this sort of game... And we move on to page 22... And Jay has basically grabbed Barry by the left arm and he's giving him a big swing. He is. Now it's the turn of Barry Flash to circle around and round. And Jay thinks to himself, When I let go, he'll be hurled with super speed and centrifugal force against the rocky cavern wall. And right enough, Jay, Jay lets go of Barry and we see Barry yeah, fleeing towards the cave wall. Face first. Yep. One Scarlet Speedster releases his hold and the other sails like a bullet towards the jagged rocks. But in mid-flight, Barry Flash's palms push back against the air in a swimming motion so swiftly they break his progress. Inches from the deadly wall, he drops lightly to the ground and... And we see Barry just sort of regaining his feet and he says, Jay's older than I am and he can't keep up the speed duel as long as I. I'll try out a super wind on him and see what happens. So Jay Flash is willing, but his body, so long out of retirement, is close to exhaustion. He is hurled backward by the gale. Yeah, and in the background we see Barry doing the patented sort of arm twisty sort of tornado sort of thing. And Jay flies into the wall and he dislodges his helmet. And Barry thinks to himself, now, that takes care of him. Now to go after Vandal Savage and capture him. As Barry Flash speeds off, Vandal Savage slips out from behind a stalagmite. And Vandal's got this sort of... Is that something in his belt or is that his... Is yeah, that a gun? it's a yeah. belt. Uh-huh. Basically it looks like he's shining a ray over Jay. And Vandal thinks to himself, now I can put my old enemy in a cube from which this time there'll be no escape. Ah, there goes the other Flash vibrating himself into invisibility. But if he thinks to overcome me that way, he's wrong. Dead wrong. Even invisibility can't save him from the clever trap I arranged. I anticipated his possible use of invisibility and guarded against it. Very forward thinking of him there, wasn't it? Meanwhile, Barry Flash is racing from the caves into the scientific hideout below them. It looks like, you know, Vandal's sort of standing under sort of spotlight shining down on him and Barry's sort of zooming in towards and he says, there's Vandal Savage now waiting to drop me as soon as he sees me but you'll never get the chance to see me. Unaware that this Vandal Savage is only a created image of the Ah. real villain, the fastest man alive leaps forward. Barry thinks to himself, one solid blow will knock him out cold. And the next panel, we've got a close-up of Vandal Savage with wild staring eyes and Barry Flash's invisible fist heading towards him. Closing in and then Barry says, wait, there's something wrong here. From a safe distance, he tosses a stone at the figure of Vandal Savage and... Barry says, I was right. If I'd made contact with that image of Vandal Savage, his inescapable cube would have instantly fallen and trap me inside. So yeah, because he throws the stone in, that strikes the figure of Vandal, and that's what activates the machine which generates the cube. So there's a nice vroom sound effect, and an empty cube appears. Indeed. Now move on to page 24, and this is when it really gets good. Here we go. Moments later, having heard the exploding image of his duplicates, Vandal Savage races into his hideout. And Vandal walks in, and he sees what looks like an empty cube, and he says to himself, the trap's been sprung. I caught him. Since he was invisible when the cube formed about him, he'll remain invisible for all eternity. 
Now all the Justice Society members who imprison me are my prisoners. And then we cut to the next panel and it's sort of um the Justice Society are no longer prisoners. They're all standing with Jay and Barry behind Vandal. And Barry's saying, that's what you think, Vandal Savage. And Vandal turns around and he says, huh, you? You're all free. But I created that perfect duplicate. What could have given it away? And we get a nice close-up of Barry and Barry says, when you created it, the image-making machine must have used so much power, the lights dimmed. In that dim light, the irises of your eyes expanded. Your identical image showed those same expanded irises when with bright light shining, it should have been contracted. Now, I've got to say, when I was reading it, I thought that I was a bit surprised at that explanation because I thought maybe Barry would have registered that it was maybe just a still image or, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing, because there's nothing really too much to indicate that it was, yeah. you know, that it was a, or maybe it was just an incredibly realistic 3D dimensional looking hologram. Mm-hmm. But I think Barry Police Science Training uh, yeah. picked up on the fact at the last minute that, you know, the whole eyeball irises uh, yeah. size was wrong it's um, um comparatively yeah. so yeah i'll have to watch for that in future actually i'll have to keep an eye out and see if people's irises are properly condensed or contracted enough to see if they're if they're real people or actually anyway Just so do that to people at bus stops and yeah. see how you go on that's good right <laughs> so then um so they've, they've caught you vandal and barry so right so continuing barry says warned that your image wasn't real i tossed a stone at it and then went and freed my friend the flash whereupon we raced back and freed my fellow justice society members while you were running into this hideout from the caves outside. So Vandal must have set up the hologram and then ran off and... Right, okay, right. Yes. Yeah, so the Justice Society members converse among themselves as the two Flashes take Vandal Savage back to prison. Yeah, so we have a nice couple of panels here. The final panel of page 24 shows Johnny Thunder, Dr Midnight, Hawkman, and probably the most straightforward and simple mask I've ever seen him in. Yes. And the Atom, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. And Dr Midnight is saying, we'll shut off this master control of the cube-making machines near the skylight engines so we can dismantle them without danger. And Wonder Woman says, you know, boys... I've been thinking, it might be a good idea for us to meet every so often, come out of retirement as it were, to prevent anything like this happening again. And Green Lantern says, I'm in favour of it. Johnny Thunder says, me too. And Hawkman says, we'll contact Flash and set a date for a future meeting. And the Atom says nothing at all. Yeah, so Little Al doesn't get a line. Does Johnny get a line? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah he does. Too. He says me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Does, uh, yeah, he gets well, a hashtag. Everyone gets a, yeah. everyone gets a line except Al. Sorry, Al. Soon, all the Skylights machines have been rendered inoperative and Barry Flash can now vibrate into his own world where the lights have also disappeared. And as Barry sort of fades out, the JSA is all lined up and Hawkman says, As the former chairman of the Justice Society, I'm going to call a meeting right now so Flash can tell us all about his alter ego from that other world. And upon returning to his own world... Barry phones Iris West. Yep, Barry back at his desk at the police station and he's saying, now that the skylights have disappeared, Iris, how about having dinner with me tonight? And over the phone... Iris responds, much as I'd like to, Barry, I can't. My paper has assigned me to uncover the story behind the mysterious skylights. And until then, no dates. And Barry, you know, Barry bowties are cool, Alan. He's sort of thinking, hmm, if I want to see Iris tonight, I'd better hustle right over to her office as The Flash and tell her the whole story. The end. The end. So, well... What do we think of that then? You know, it's nice having a little scene at the end with Chuck and Alan and everyone, but I felt it kind of the cover sells it as the you know the flashes fighting. Yes, and it took a while to get to that. We only uh-huh. got it for a few, you know for like a, a page, a, basically barely a page. page yeah, and, and actually, I thought the the scenes of them fighting were actually really quite fun. It was quite mm-hmm. good. Yeah, we haven't actually had the reverse flash yet, so it's rare for yeah. I think he he's what he's two, two issues, issues away. later. Yeah, two issues away. So it's rare yeah. for Flash actually to be up against a super speed adversary. So yeah, yeah that's interesting. And also, it's very good. 
we have now got an explanation from Gartner Fox. What exactly are stalactites and which ones are stalagmites? Stal- yes, stalactites are the ones that hang down. Yes, tapes to the ceiling, yes. Yes, and the other ones might reach them one day. I think you might trip over them. Yes, well, okay, I'm sure. Okay. I remember being told at school it was the mate. Okay. Anyway, there we go. Yes, that's so, yeah. very good. And so, mm. Another interesting thing that popped up for me was the fact that at some point in his journeys between the two parallel Earths, Barry picked up a map. Yeah, so there's possibly... <laughs> Possibly an unseen story where, yeah. um, where Jay's providing him with a map so that he knows he's where. Because obviously, yeah. we we know that Keystone and Central pre crisis the same area, the same yeah. area on different. Also, there's Barry's probably Jay. Sorry, he's probably given Barry a map so of so he knows about other differences. Mm-hmm. So that's very that's interesting. No. I, I wonder if I wonder what the sort of you know, the Earth One equivalents of of Calvin were. You know that sort of thing. Because mm. well, would it be Ivy Town? Is that not where, where Ray Palmer? Yeah, could be. Yeah. Could be. Interesting. I wonder. I wonder. Cause but but it can't be because Iris actually mentioned that's one of the cities. Right, she did on, on right. their earth. Right. So yeah, it might be a similar like situation. But you know, it's uh, definitely it's a city in its own right. Mm-hmm. Now, Interesting. major points from this which could cause problems. Right. right? Mm-hmm. In this one, we see the return of JSA, the Golden Age characters, but some of them already exist on Earth One. Wonder Woman and Hawkman specifically. Yep. So, maybe, yeah, so maybe I maybe wonder if that's why Hawkman was drawn with such a sort of different simplified helmet, just to kind of help differentiate them. Maybe because you know, the Silver Age Hawkman's been around for just about two and a half years by this uh-huh. point. But Hal Jordan, the Earth, the, the, what become the Earth One Green Lantern, mm-hmm. he's he's long established. Yes, but um, the interesting thing is Barry obviously is a comic fan. And that's established in his very first appearance. Yes. And he has a comic collection, and did we yes. sell one of those comics in this, which features these characters? Oh, that's right. So, that's right. on Earth One, you know, these stories exist in which previous versions of these characters exist yeah, as the same character. Yeah, which means that everyone on Earth One has read a comic. Well, they've read a comic that told them Wonder Woman was Diana Prince or Hawkman was Carter Hall. Or even if it didn't give away secret, well, it must give away secret identities because uh, Barry knew who Jay was. Yeah. But maybe. It's tweaked so if there's a direct counterpart who is the same person, right? Then interesting. This is some cosmic balance. Yeah, it, it might tell you the story, but doesn't actually tell you who yeah. they are. It'll be interesting to see if anything of that pops up or gets touched on. Mm. It probably it probably won't. Because um, if, if that was the case, then you know Barry, the first Justice League of America team up, who would have said, "Oh, Diana, hello." Of course, uh, of course. she would have. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's absolutely right. So interesting. Again, but, um, it's, it's something that, as far as I'm aware, never comes up. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I'm honest, out of the three Flash team ups that we've done so far, it's probably the one I've enjoyed the least. Yeah, I'm with you in that. It's, it's it feels it's, like they're trying out more things, but uh, they're not quite getting there. I yeah. think this definitely had a function to do, and that's to bring back the GSA. Yeah, it's interesting that I say, like you know, so much of part two is is all that nonsense about Barry floating around and Jay getting dragged through the ground. If he, if Vandal had maybe just set them off against each other uh-huh. straight away, you know, maybe to tire each, maybe to tire them out or something, yeah. you know, that sort of thing, that might might have given us a bit of a it's not that I'm itching to see the, the two flashes fighting, but no, you know, but that's what, it's what they um yeah, it's what's that's, advertising the couple. Yeah, and that, that would have been so. a bit more interesting than just Barry floating about and Jay, Jay getting dragged through the ground. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. So then that was um that's Flash One Three Seven. So we're now going to talk about the reader reaction. Indeed, we are. And this is the latest page from issue Flash One Hundred and Forty, which is the I think is the first appearance of the sort of team up between. Captain Cold and, and, and Heatwave. Heat wave, heat yeah. Yeah, and so, almost yeah. makes me want to do my, my web no, of No, 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 you're not doing that. And no. Mick Rory sort of voices no. from off of Legends of Tomorrow, but I'm not going to do that. No, good. I'm not going to do that. So, Flashgrams in issue 140. So the first one is from Alden Stallings from Herndon in Virginia. He says, Dear Editor, Wow! 
That's inarticulate but tremendously effective phrase is the only apt description for the Dune Flash Vengeance of the Immortal Villain, which should be billed as the best ever to come out of a comic book. So it was well received at the time. Yes. Maybe maybe we are just being too fussy. I don't know. <laughs> Starting as it's customary from the beginning, I could easily be convinced that this issue's cover is your most attractive, showing as it did the brightly garbed Flashy scuffling in an intriguingly coloured subterranean cavern. While the less colourful but obviously villainous Vandal Savage leers off towards the right. Soon, after tearing my eyes from the cover long enough to open the book, I began to become really impressed as one of your latter generation readers, fundamentally unacquainted with the legendary Justice Society of America, I was thrilled to see this organisation become part of the story, albeit very small. The plot itself was fascinating. This is the first time our flashy duo has been called upon to fight one lone villain. But what a match it was. Vandal Savage, though not new, is certainly one of the most original characters existing. Being the best of the three old new Flash stories, <laughs> so far published, this issue automatically becomes, in my opinion, the best comic ever. Well, we've already said we disagree with that, but hey, it's um, yeah, it's. Inter- I mean, it's. I got. We didn't really say. I mean, I think Vandal Savage as a character is brilliant. He's great. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. I've always, I've always liked him. I think there's moments when I think he's been a little bit overused and yeah. in there, but as an idea that he's immortal, has lived through all this sort of time, mm. and it's cracking. As Alden was saying there about the cover, you know, we, we've not really talked about it. What I really like about the cover is that, as well as the sort of like you know, absolute beautiful textured detail of the of the cave, it's Jay's very centered on it. You, yeah. don't, you don't see Barry's chess symbol. It's almost like Jay's the star of the show and Barry's the villain mm-hmm. that Jay's knocking out. It's, yeah, it's, um, true. It's nice. It's, it's a covers. Yeah, don't judge a book by the cover in this case. In my my opinion. But you um, always judge comics by the cover. Exactly. So the response to Alden's letter says, when we put the June Flash to bed, it was with the satisfied feeling that it rated is one of the best all-round issues of our long editorial career. Our only regret is that we didn't take the precaution of equipping ourselves with an umbrella as protection from the showers of praise that have been heaped on us for vengeance of the immortal villain. That's interesting. Are mm-hmm. we are we being too cynical? Um, I mean, I imagine it must have well, been really exciting. Because at the this, time, yes. At this point, it's like there's not been a, a JLA, JSC team up yet. No. There hasn't been a Green Lantern... Green Lantern team up yet? Mm-hmm. The Spectre hasn't been revived yet, etc. I mean, this is only the third of the Flash team of ups. the Flash team yeah. ups. Technically, only the third Earth One, Earth Two sort of story. Mm-hmm. You, know, this, you know, obviously we've, we've established and discussed you know, a few ones. other sort of yeah. parallel sort of stories. Mm-hmm. It's probably the case that the anticipation for this was probably huge. Absolutely, yeah. People would think, right? When you know, it's, what eight issues after the last ones? So the Flash probably semi monthly at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, monthly with the exception of, and it's not. It's not like it's all bad. Uh-huh. And it, it does rattle along and it's quite exciting, but it's just, I mean, we're probably just sort of feeling that it would have been nice if if they'd fought each other a bit longer, if the Justice Society had been a little it, bit more involved more, in the resolution. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So the second letter, and this one's from Joe Finley from Tennessee, and Joe says, Dear Editor, to begin with, the June Flash number 137 featuring Vengeance of the Immortal Villain was and always will be a classic. Now this is really saying something. Since <laughs> Bananarama, since most of any form of writing usually takes years to be considered a classic. The most probable reason for this is it takes years for readers to really fall in love with characters and actually think of them as real. I, for example, have to think for a moment to keep from believing that there really wasn't a Scarlet O'Hara or a Rhett Butler. For these characters, through Gone with the Wind and the movie production after the years, become somewhat a part of the American heritage. To a lesser degree, the Justice Society has become such an institution to comic fans everywhere. So how could a story featuring fandom's greatest old favourites be anything else? Admittedly, the JSA's role was rather passive as they were only victims of Vandal Savage. However, the vigorous action of the group's speediest member, the Flash, far offset this detriment. However, 
The mere appearance of the old Flash in the Justice Society of America would not have alone served to boost this story into the classic category. Mr. Fox and Mr. Infantino and you, Sir Editor, could hardly have done a better job writing, drawing and coordinating this epic. Such touches as the illustration of the cover of All-Star Comics. That's very true. Absolutely. That, yes. was, that, was, that was lovely. The various insights to the JSA's members' powers on page 12. And Mr. Joe Giella's Excellent ink, served to thrill me, as I'm sure it did fans everywhere. Joe Finley, Sparta, Tennessee. And yeah. the response says, Now we know why writer Fox and artist Infantino Jella advises that they were going umbrella hunting. Ho, ho, ho. The next one is from Judith Player from West Hampton Beach in New York. And Judith says, It is with great glee that I can point out an error in Vengeance of the Immortal <laughs> Villain. Not only did you make the error, but you yourselves managed to point it out. Judith's a troll. Mm-hmm. What a reward for fans like me who read flashgrams and sigh wistfully over the brilliant letters sent in by those discerning critics who spot all the subtle and not-so-subtle mistakes. Fellow amateurs, rejoice! On page 24, The Flash, Barry Allen, explains why he was not deceived by Vandal Savage's duplicate in the following. When you credited it, the duplicate, the image-making machine, must have used... So much power, the lights dimmed. In that dim light, the irises of your eyes expanded. Your identical image shows these same expanded irises. When the bright light's shining, they should have been contracted. Now I refer you to the feature following page 9. What's the difference between? Please note the difference between expand and dilate. Please note also the flash's use of expand was incorrect. The irises do not spread out in every direction, only laterally. I have no doubt that you can wiggle out of it somehow, but... As for me, remember the old saw. A girl convinced against her will is of the same opinion still. Saw must mean saying. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's interesting because we mentioned the house ad that mentioned World's Finest Mystery in Space, Shure and Spike and Star Spangled Dinosaurs, but we didn't talk about the opposite page, which has what's the difference between. It's one of these classic flash facts pages. It's sort of, yes, you know, to educate and entertain. So it says, three panels, topless lad. And it says expand to spread out, usually in every direction, thereby occupying more space or having more capacity as to expand one's chest. Then the next panel is a boy blown a bubble gum or a balloon or something. And it says inflate to blow out or swell a hollow body with air or gas, as in to inflate a balloon. And then the last one, it's got a shady looking character who looks a bit like William Hartnell in Brighton Rock, come down a flight of stairs carrying a candle. And it says dilate to increase the width or circumference as a dim light causes the pupils of the eyes to dilate. So, Barry's explanation, right enough. Does it expanded? He says the um, um, expanded when, yeah, probably meant to say dilated. Well, that's interesting. I'm glad Judith was there to point that out to us. It is indeed. So thank you, Judith. If you're listening, thank you. Yes. So the, the letters page finishes again with um this issue's award winners, the original artwork pages for Vengeance of the Immortal Villain. Part one went to Alden Stallings, part two to Joe Finley, and part three went to Judith Player. So there you are. Wow. Judith got... The final part. That's the, fantastic. She got the artwork. She got the Fantastic. I wonder Super. if she tipexed it out. <laughs> Other correcting liquid materials are available. Right, so yeah, so the Justice Society of America are back. Hey. I know, fantastic. We're getting to the really good stuff now, so they'll be back very soon. And we'd love to hear what you thought about this story. So please get in touch with us. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com and we might even give you a shout out on the show. Of course we will. And you can also follow us on Facebook at the Earth 2 Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2, with that being the number 2. Yes, all our social medias are using the number 2, not yeah. the TWO. So they wrap it also on Instagram as well. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time on the, the Earth, Earth 2, 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. <laughs>